everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hi, Victoria. How are you? Hi, George. I'm so good today. How are you doing? Oh, it's so good. Not even just good, but so good. Um, so good. Yes. <laughs> fantastic. I'm, I'm also, I would say I'm so good as well. It's been the last, um, since last Friday up until today, which is, is today Monday? Monday's, it's a Monday today. Yeah, right? it's today's yeah. Monday, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been good. I've had different events happening, all have been positive. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, one, first of all, I today I found out that my PhD has been accepted, um, Ooh, which yay, is um, thank you, thank you, a big, big, big deal for me because I've wanted to do it for forever. Um, I've still got to get funding if I want to do it full time, but um, I've I've kind of accepted the option of part time as well if I have to. Um, but yeah, big, big deal. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, and you never know the your amazing listeners. And my amazing listeners might be able to help you out with the funding. I mean, if you don't ask, you don't get, right? Yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like every opportunity I get, I'm like, just by the way, if anyone's sitting on a on a clean hundred grand, just, you know, throw it my way. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I can't share that much. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, if anyone if anyone has any money lying around they want to put into into some research, feel free to to let me know um but yeah yeah I'm glad that you're so good how come you're how come you're doing so well do you know what George like and I don't want to sound like too corny or anything but I choose to be great every day and of course there's days where I feel down because we're human right and I get that I don't want to take away I don't want to put a positivity plaster on like every like uncomfortable feeling Mm. but I'm good because I love my life that I've created for myself um I feel worthy of it now and that's been a journey for me Mm. and I was walking this morning and I was and I got up an hour later than what I usually wake up because I didn't sleep that great we we've been away for a family weekend and we got back quite late last night and I I'm one for going to bed at like half past eight nine o'clock and I didn't get into bed till about half past ten so I choose when I wake up every day And then I still managed to fit my workout in all my clients in because I decide like how to run my day. And that just reminds me of how blessed I am. And I've also chosen, made choices throughout my life that have allowed me to do that. So Mm. I also feel humble in that, like I've not always been that way. So I'm good because my lifestyle is supporting and I I actually, I live in my purpose every day. And I think that's Mm. like a massive deal. What, yeah. how do you like see that if you wake up every morning and you're doing what you like what lights you up that helps yeah I, well I mean I think um I think if someone disagreed with that they would be insane like <laughs> um, you know I think if you're doing doing what you love um then I think you're you're going to naturally I think the the issue there is finding offers for a lot of people is finding what it is you love mm. um that can be that can be a real struggle I think for me 
Um, I'd built up for so many years the idea of having to do things for other people or like, you know, doing things because other people would see that or other people would blah, 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 you know, um, that it was quite difficult to get in touch with what it was I actually wanted. Yeah, can definitely resonate with that. I mean, I did leave school at 16. I don't think you can do that now, but I left school at 16 with good qualifications. And I worked with, I left to work with horses. So Mm. I followed my passion then, although horses, I'm not living that day to day now, it's still a passion of mine, but my whole life, to be honest, actually reflecting back now, having this conversation, I am the type of person who will just follow what I really want to do. I'm quite stubborn in that way. And the money wasn't always there, especially in the horse world, but I enjoyed it. And I think that's the main, main thing for me. And I, you know, I'm in a privileged position. I don't have children that are my responsibility. I am pretty much a free spirit. But again, I've chose to have this as my, as my lifestyle for sure. Yeah. I, I really like that. Um, cause that's something that I've done in, in the kind of following your heart, I suppose, is the, it kind of sounds cheesy to say that, but, you know, following what's, I, oh, I always say following what's meaningful. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think you with the, the sensation of something feeling like it's meaningful or feel, yeah, feeling that, you know, that thing of you know, when, when you do something and you feel, you just mm-hmm. feel it in your soul or in your core or whatever you want to call it, that, that this is, I, I like this I enjoy this this is important to me it's meaningful in my life and just going with that um because I think I think you know that's that's your subconscious highlighting to you that there's something in this that you're meant to do or that you at least want to do um, and even if like you know for you even if it is going for horses and it turns out that horses wasn't the path that you want you ended up wanting to do there was something about horses that 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 you connected to and that that's led to the next thing and the next thing until the point where you are now and it was similar for me yeah oh I love what you've just shared because I like to describe the analogy of like google maps like everyone knows what google maps is google maps um when you say the phrase follow your heart like follow your gut instinct follow your intuition however you want to phrase it I like to see that as a google maps of your life So if it feels right and you like follow the breadcrumbs, if you like, like you've just mentioned, like it felt right to work with horses. I followed the breadcrumbs of like this, you know, follow the trail of what feels good. And then if you look back on your life, like everyone listening to this, just think like where you are now, all the consequences and how the universe aligned in order for you to be where you are now. It's just incredible when you think about it and I love mm. that you said that ever have you seen the film sliding doors it's an old I don't think I have thing. I need to re-watch it but it's it's so vivid in my in my mind and it was it's a woman living this life and it's called sliding doors because one choice she chose differently she lives like it shows you both of her lives if she made this choice or if she made this choice and it's just so powerful to see that one choice can have like a phenomenal effect on the way your life goes Mm. and it just brings back the reminder that this is a free will universe like I'm quite spiritual so I might drop some like spiritual language in here but this universe this world is a free will so we always get to choose so the google maps for our life is our heart is our intuition we don't have to follow that 
And a lot of people listening may not be following their passion, their heart, and then wondering why they don't, their alarm goes off and they're kind of like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. Like, it doesn't have to be like that. It really doesn't. It just takes courage over comfort, which is one of my favorite quotes from Brene Brown. Mm. They keep following those breadcrumbs of like what feels good and then mm. just do it. You've got to take action. Yeah, and I think that it, you know, it is. I think often when you say that to, to people, often things will come up. You know, that there are. I mean, we, I suppose, you'll understand as well that there are there are barriers in place, and for some people, it is yeah. very difficult. You know, there's money and family and you know whatever. Um, but you know, I think even if <clears throat> if something feels meaningful to you, even if it's just um, you know making a ten minute putting like a 10 minute segment of your day where you do that thing or work towards that thing and whatever whatever the smallest possible thing is that you feel is manageable do that um and it just it'll it'll bring some excitement to your day and then you'll probably end up wanting to do it a bit more and then you know you'll start gaining stuff from you my minds for me i i did my like i said i just got my my phd and and the my phd subject is um like psychology sociology and you know I don't have any qualifications in that at all like you know I have I have my undergrad in sports science and my master's in sports nutrition Mm -hmm. Um, and you know as I was doing my nutrition I realized that psychology was was something that I wanted to get into as I started my minds and you know I it started off as just this Instagram account my minds is an Instagram account that I posted people's stories on and then you know I just started I like I literally I literally just started calling up psychiatrists and like clinical psychologists and just being like hey I really want to work in this field I've set up this thing do you know you know can you help or is there anything and, and so many of them were no's or like why are you calling me and um, but just just I just thought you know what I, I, I fucking I want to do it and like it takes me 10 minutes to just call this person up and they them say no or I, I literally got I got several people saying well I think you know I think because you've you've you know you've taken the path you're on so far it's going to be really hard for you to get into this world but you know you you do it any you just do it anyway because it felt meaningful to me um yeah. so Again, I guess what I'm trying to say is if, if you are listening and you know, there is something that you is meaningful, you know, when we've been talking about this now, there's a thing in the back of your head, you go, oh, that's the thing. You start doing it just just five minutes every day. A hundred percent. Even if it's like, you know, a lot of my clients actually have a love for dancing, like a lot of them were like ballet dancers or just some kind of they're in some kind of professional dance industry when they were younger and they've stopped doing it as they've got older I mean I I also think that anyone's passion can be made into a business these days online to be honest but even if it's just allowing yourself to dance once a week and a dance group or 10 minutes a day that will absolutely help with how you feel within yourself a hundred percent it's like doing the little things each day that light you up yeah, definitely. I'm interested. Uh, this isn't kind of what I was planning on talking to you about, but do you have like a, a routine, like a daily routine, like your like a morning routine and an evening routine? I do. And I've trialed an error with this for many, well, for about three and a half years now since I got into personal development. And I was very much in most of my life, I've been in my masculine energy, which means I was like do 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 goal orientated nothing's ever good enough perfectionist like all this action stuff so when I first like found out about oh a morning routine it can be really helpful I was getting up at half past four having to journal for this long yoga for this long and it yes it was a morning routine but it wasn't really serving my soul it was just something that I thought I was supposed to do 
So now as I've gone on my journey and I understand like what self-connection is, what self-care is, the difference between, for example, like this morning, I stayed in bed extra for an hour extra. Only I truly know whether that was my body saying, come on, Gil, you need like an hour extra in bed for self-care or I'm lazy and I just can't be asked to get up. So I'm going to have an extra hour in bed. Like self-love isn't just, you know, wishy-washy and do all the things. Like it's also inspiration from within, not motivation. That's external. That's very short-lived. It's an inspirational Mm. feeling to take care of yourself and also to follow your passion. That's inspiration, not motivation. So now I've like perfected, if you like, even though I don't like the word perfection, because what is perfection? Mm my morning routine. So I go to, it starts the night before, right? To set yourself up for the morning. I truly believe it starts the night before. So I'll talk about my nighttime routine first. Not so, it's not as elaborate as my morning routine, but I go to, I work backwards. I go to bed at 8.30 and I start my like face. So I wash my face, take my makeup off, do my creams. As I'm doing that, I'm listening to like a meditation or relaxing music or a podcast that I find relaxing to me then I brush my teeth mm-hmm. um so I get into bed about 8 45 and then I put a nighttime store like an adult nighttime story and listen to that when I go to bed before I get ready for bed at 8 30 I put my blue light blocker glasses on an hour before that so at half past seven because I like to Netflix and chill but actually watch Netflix and chill mm. not not Netflix. <laughs> I mean, you went there. You went there. Okay. I did it. I, we, I don't have sex and watch Netflix in the background. I actually Netflix and chill. And I put my blue light blocker glasses on at half past seven. Mm. So in the morning, I don't have an alarm. And I'm very blessed that I have a lifestyle that can offer me this. So I naturally wake up without fail, usually unless I've had a late night before, between six and 6.20, like every morning, just naturally. Mm-hmm. So up I get between six and 6.20. The first thing I do is have a wee and brush my teeth if we're going into details. And then I get straight out the front door and walk my dog for about 40 minutes. Now I have no earphones. I have no phone. I'm literally like, I like to look at the sky, look at the moon. When it starts to go a bit lighter into summer, I get excited to see the sunrise. For me, fresh air first thing it really does it for me. My fiance, on the other hand, you couldn't think of anything worse than getting up out of bed and then going straight outside. Mm. So this is so important that everyone knows that you just need to experiment and see what's right for you. So after my walk around 40 minutes, I come back home and then I've got like a little treadmill that I'm looking at right now. It's like an office treadmill thing. Mm -hmm. And I walk on the treadmill as I reply to client messages. Now, if you read all the inspirational people about morning routine, you shouldn't check your phone between blah, 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 blah. I've not checked my phone until I've been on my walk and that's like 40, 45 minutes. But when I know I'm clients are waiting for me to respond, I can't relax and I'm so mm. of service. Like I, I want to respond to them first. It's also early. So most of them aren't responding straight back. So I can like get clear all my messages, takes about 40 minutes and then I go and do my workout. Mm-hmm. So after my workout, which is about an hour, I have a shower and then I'm ready to start client calls. Journaling happens if I feel like it, but not every day I don't feel like journaling. So honestly, it's as you can see, self-reflecting there, fresh air, getting outside and a bit of exercise, but you're walking, coming back, doing something of service and feeling like I'm clearing my 
to-do list, if you like, mm. and then working out, moving my body because fitness is really important to me. Mm. I think you've touched on multiple really important points there. And I think the first thing that I kind of think of is when you said how, be, first of all, you you when you took on a morning routine, you just thought the thing you have to do is get up really early and, and do this and do that and blah, blah, blah. And I think it, it like like you said, that you see those kind of influences around your productivity and stuff. And mm-hmm. they always talk about how you have to do it this way. You have to do that way. You have to do this. You have to do that. You can't check your phone in the first hour or whatever. And yeah. I think it's so important that we, you know, there, there are there are parts of that that are like scientifically backed mm-hmm. and, and fabulous and whatever but that doesn't fit to everyone's routine and I love that you said you know your partner they would hate going outside yeah. because and that's perfect because you know I think some people listen to the podcast might have heard you start talking about your morning routine and thought okay what do I need like I need to copy what she's doing so I'll listen to how she's doing this um, but you know, the important thing there is you, you've crafted that around your life and a way that helps you. And mm. yeah, I think that's the most important thing that it's not rigid. You, I think a morning routine is, is important because, yeah. you know, I think our, the morning and the evening routines are, are the things that happen to us every single day. And I think because of that, we tend to think of them less and we think that they're less important but collectively yeah. they're the predominant part of our entire life you know if if the hour the start of your day and the hour at the end of your day if you do that for 20 years you know that's a, that's a lot of hours and um, built up like imagine doing that in a work week you want those to be positive you want them to be have a positive influence on you um but that doesn't mean you know don't go the other way and make them kind of tyrannical yeah. and how oh my god I have to go and do this thing now because that's what my morning routine is you find yeah. things that um yeah that kind of bring you energy like like yours does yeah find what nourishes you because nourishment isn't just what we eat it's you know everything physical nourishment emotional nourishment spiritual nourishment what I will say is yes I check my phone after about 40 45 minutes of being awake but I wouldn't check my phone a lot of people and I'm not saying this is bad or wrong but it won't be serving you and this will be the science part as well as you know George if we wake up and then straight away like start reacting to Instagram or Facebook or client messages or even messages from friends you're you've gone straight into reaction mode Whereas if even if you give yourself half an hour, 20 minutes, like some of my clients are so used to getting up, sorting out kids and literally 10 minutes to themselves to have a cup of tea without any distractions, like literally sets them up for the day just to be because we're a human being, not a human doing. And we often forget about that is just to carve that time out where you don't check your phone because that is really key. I mean, some people will say, leave it an hour, two hours. I wouldn't advise doing it the second you get up because automatically your brain's like in reaction mode. Do something relaxing for the first part of your routine. And it also doesn't have to, I mean, my morning routine from start to finish, including my workout, probably takes two hours, but I'm in a position to be able to do that. Some people literally have 10, 20 minutes because they've got children I would advise going to bed 20 minutes earlier so then you can get up 20 minutes earlier. The little things are the big things, like you've said. We are our habits, right? And it is really key, but it's important to do what feels right. Again, this is like a theme, isn't it? To follow your heart, follow your feeling. Try things. You've got to try things because otherwise you don't know if it's going to work for you. Like the 4.30 was not working for me. (laughs) (laughs) It just wasn't. 
Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? You have to, it's 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 individual to every person, um, and it's yeah, it's just it's so important that you. Yeah, I think it's very easy to to want a, a quick answer or like a magic way. This is the morning routine that is best for you, body, body, blah. blah, blah. Um, yeah. But I think I do. I think it's um, I'm not massively like well read on the the influence of like screens and stuff in the morning, so I can't I can't say real like specifically my opinion on it but i do know that when i when i make an allotted like a like an, a, a real attempt to not look at my phone for a specific period of time i do feel better for the day and yeah. um, so even just anecdotally i know that that works for me and i i, I have it although i haven't been doing it recently and that this maybe this conversation is the thing that will kick me into it but i used to have a a day so one of the weekend days i wouldn't go on my phone at all um, so I, you know, I'd literally, I'd check it, I'd check it like uh, in the morning, see if there's any like urgent emails and I'd check it in the evening, but then the rest of the day, it's like not near me. Um, and that those days would make, it was like, it was, I can't even explain it. You just, I just feel so different. Um, and it was amazing when it's, it's really hard at first, like, you know, I'm people at home, you know, people listening, if you are an avid phone user, you'll know how difficult it is to, to not be with your phone for for an hour or so um but it's worth it yeah I do that every Sunday actually it's like in my unplug day and it is really difficult and I I'm like you I do I do check client messages first thing because because again I mean this is I can work through this because I'm sure we'll go into this the control that I've relaxed around food it doesn't just disappear until you keep doing the deep work over time. It latches itself onto other stuff. So like I've noticed like throughout my journey, the, the control around foods like dropped and then it went onto my business and how many people are following me and how much post engagement is my thing. And it's kind of like, oh, that's so interesting. It's just like switched from this eating part to the body part then it then I got rid of it there and then now it's like on my business so yes maybe I could even practice relaxing more around being of service to my clients but where I'm at right now in radical honesty like I'm so of service I can't relax unless I know that I've responded and helped people that are waiting because ultimately they're paying me as well and I do charge high-end prices because I give everything to my clients and it's worth it so on a Sunday in the morning after I've checked my messages, I literally put my phone upstairs and sometimes I feel like, oh my God, like what am I going to do with myself? But that forces me to spend time with me and it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. To just be. Yeah. And that that's why meditation is so hard and stuff, isn't it as well? It's because you're just, yeah, we're so used to having these distractions, like you said, and you've kind of, you've, you've made a note there that we haven't even spoke about your like, <laughs> any, you know, what we've what I brought you on to speak about. We're already like 20 minutes in. So I'll, fantastic um, sidetrack, but we'll, let's get on to the question. So I guess to, to start off, um, can you tell people a little bit about your experiences with um, disordered eating or eating disorder? Absolutely. And I will keep a very long story short because we have been talking for a while, but as I will clarify. So when I was nine, I first started my first diet with my mom. She was just doing the best that she could. And as we all are, you know, she was learning what she'd passed down. She was passing down what she learned from her mom and etc. So I was dieting from nine. I cannot remember a memory where I ever, until the last three, four years, but since I've been doing this work, I cannot remember a memory where I felt, quote, normal around food. 
So it started very young for me. Um, as time went on, when I was 13, I got diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. And obviously that's a very serious illness. And I know you're very aware of, of how, mm. you know, what that is and how you, how that feels. It was a very difficult time. My mom was there to the rescue, even though at one point I honestly felt hate towards her because she was making me eat. And anyone that is understanding of anorexia, like the last thing you want to do is eat anything. It's just so hard to describe, especially the place that I'm in now. So that went on for, I'd say about three years. And when I say I healed physically from anorexia, it was because I was then not in a dangerous weight but it's a mental illness. And so I was still really struggling with body dysmorphia, especially because when you're anorexic, I don't know about you, but I didn't see myself as skinny. I saw other people as like big, like a normal size woman. I saw them as like, well, I'm glad I don't look like that. And I was just tiny and bony and your whole perception of bodies shift. So I was, I was working on that for a few years, but honestly, I didn't want to get better because thinness is celebrated so much, even though it was the extreme my, unconsciously, I was like, I don't, I want to stay skinny as possible. Yeah. Fast forward till when I was 19, I fell into an, a, an abusive relationship and then actually I turned like a, a full 360 and then I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder. Um, I was in a really bad place. I was cut off from my family and friends. I didn't go to my sister's wedding. I didn't see my mom. That's a story in and of itself. But I was really isolated from any support. And I just turned to food because dieting since I was nine, I did kind of used to diet binge yo-yo diet with my mom up until 13 and I was anorexic. And then it continued with like a mental disorder, fear of weight gain, fear of food. And then when I fell into this relationship, I just turned to food and that's all I had to comfort me. And so I put a lot of weight on very quickly. He made me dye my hair black because apparently blondes get more attention. All of these things, I was just surrounding myself in food to comfort me. And so when I left that relationship, that was six years later, I found the gym. Now, I still love fitness, but honestly, the world of fitness isn't all toxic. Absolutely not. But with my brain, with my mental perfectionism, and it was very toxic for me. And that actually I want to say it damaged me more than the anorexia. I mean, that probably doesn't intellectually make sense, but from my memories, because you don't, anorexia, you just want to be skinny. With the gym, you don't just look at leanness, you look at shape and curves, and you're so nitpicky with your body. When I found the gym, the weight started coming off. And then I would get so much outside validation. Oh my God, you're a machine. You look incredible. And so then I would take it to the extreme because that's what I used to do all the time and like starve myself all day. But then I couldn't keep starving myself. So I then ended up binge eating. So I'd like kind of mix the two now. So I had brought me anorexic tendencies in of starving myself, the binge eating tendencies of like, I, I need to eat food. And then I brought purging into it and I was diagnosed with bulimia. So I was purging through laxative, trying to make myself sick and then overexercise. And that lasted until I met my now fiance when I was 30 and I'm now 34 almost 35 so I've definitely been through the thick of it in terms of disordered eating that's for sure 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And thank thank you for sharing that. And I think we you know, there are definitely similarities in our story in the way that you know we've kind of interwoven with all the kind of different symptoms. Um and yeah, I'm, I, I I couldn't really plan on asking this, but I'm just interested. How how do you think your the obviously it sounds horrible the the relationship you you were in the abusive relationship how do you think that like tied into your disorder detail I know you mentioned it made you kind of rely on it but can you expand on that absolutely so I thought from having psychologists and therapy like ever since then and I'm still am in therapy because I just love it so much I get to learn more about myself every week and she holds up a mirror for me I thought that I entered that relationship and I was fine. And then that relationship made me feel unworthy, not good enough. But actually, for me to accept abuse and to not walk away, I mean, it does happen gradually. It's not like one day you're all happy and then he hits you and then you're just fine. It's very like small little things. And then there's a lot of emotional control and manipulation in there as well. But I entered that relationship already with low self-esteem and low self-worth, which I believe is from the dieting when I was nine, seeing my mum always dieting, me not feeling good enough. So then as I came into this relationship to answer your question, because I felt isolated from the world, I was no longer seeing people or really having conversations or being sociable so for me the pressure of looking good enough the pressure of being socially accepted and loved was almost like taken away because literally I wasn't allowed to go to work I wasn't allowed to go anywhere by myself like it was like I was an actual prisoner so it's very weird that I felt safe in a really fucked up way because I was being abused, but then I also felt so safe from the outside world. So it was almost like, and it's, I'm really glad you've asked this question because it's really helping me to reflect now, actually, George. So being taken away from the outside world, being in this like a little abusive but safe cave, the amount of times I'd restricted food, especially through my anorexia, my body, my biology was still driving me to eat because it has been starving for how many years? And since I was nine, I was messing with my hunger and fullness cues since I was nine. So it was almost like I'd give, given myself the permission slip to just honor all of my cravings, but it didn't stop there because I would honor my cravings by eating the food. And then I was comfort eating and emotional eating on top of that. So then you just get into a rut of like, well, this is my life. What, like, as we were talking at the beginning of this podcast, like what feels good to you? What likes you? What, what's your passion? I had nothing. The only thing that like brought joy into my life was food. Mm. So it's a blessing in disguise, really. I mean, everything what I've been through is a blessing in disguise and I wouldn't change any of it. But being in the midst of that relationship and then also being diagnosed with binge eating disorder, it's so strange how it was one extreme to the other. I've not experienced someone else. I don't know if you have, George, who's had anorexia and then the complete opposite, which is binge eating disorder. Have you experienced that before? Well, I mean, so my my own experience is is from thinness or I'm not diagnosed with anorexia. I'm not, I don't really know what eating disorder I am diagnosed with. I think I've said this when we spoke on your podcast, um, that the mm. only memory I have is a doctor telling me that I don't look like I have one when he looked at my records. Um, 
but like I, I went from anorexia-like symptoms to binge eating disorder-like symptoms um, mm. myself. Mine, mine kind of transitioned through bulimia towards it rather than going from anorexia straight to binge eating disorder. But I do know that, um, that, that transitions are quite common. Like people do transition through eating disorders, like different symptoms. Um, I can't, mm. I can't tell you massively. I, the, what I remember is I was on a, I did a podcast when I was at Loughborough University, I did a podcast with uh, Dr. Carolyn Plateau, um, who is a, a researcher at Loughborough Uni. And me and her went on the Experts in Sport podcast to talk about disordered eating and athletes. And I remember I mentioned on that podcast that I'd gone through these different forms of disordered eating. And she said, oh, yeah, that's quite common. So that's the only reason I remember it. But so I do think I do think it does. It does happen. Um, but I'm, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You're um firstly thank you for sharing and obviously I, I feel kind of um you know if I am going too far into this please do please do let me know but oh no um, I'm fine with it all thank you for asking okay. me um but yeah it, you know, it, in regards to the fact that you said you said you felt almost safe in this abusive relationship it's so you know it's kind of it almost reminds me of how um people feel feel safe in with exercise addiction or you know people can push it through push themselves to insane amounts of pain and insane mm. amounts of you know yeah going through like horrible things and f- somehow finding comfort in that do you think it was similar i know you said you had experience with exercise kind of over exercising as well do you think it was a similar like obviously it's different but you think there was some kind of similarities there just from your own experience I don't, I know exactly what you're saying, but I don't think so. So let me clarify what I mean. The exercise addiction and feeling safe in the behaviors that come with that, my personal experience anyway, was first of all, I labeled myself an identity level of I am like, I even changed my Instagram was Miss Mini Machine because that's what everyone called me. So first of all, like I'd labeled myself as this machine because that's what everyone was telling me. To me, the exercise was all about a control thing. It was like, if I can control what I eat, how much I move, what I look like, therefore I can control how much people love and accept me. And I was doing fitness modern. I was 9% body fat. I was like shredded. I still admire the way I used to look, but there's absolutely no way I would ever swap the body I had then for the mindset and the lack of self-worth and everything I had to go with it. So for me, that came hand in hand. The relationship, however, if we're talking of like feeling safe in abuse, it, it's like the unconscious mind. Like as we know, as humans, we don't like to be outside of our comfort zone. And because I'd been in that abuse for six years, that had become my comfort zone, even though it wasn't comfortable. You know, like when children are, a, a, you know, child abuse yeah. or like they, you'll, you, most of them as adults repeat the same patterns and they end up in abusive relationships and then wonder why consciously mm. it's because unconsciously they feel comfortable in abuse. So underneath our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, our feelings underneath it all is our unconscious mind. That's like a software on a mobile phone, a computer that runs our whole life. Mm -hmm. Unless we consciously think, oh shit, like 
like I was in that relationship with that person and I ended that and now I'm in this relationship with this person it's the same thing just a different person yeah it's like your relationship with food like it can tell you a lot it's never about the food but at the same time it is we'll go into that but on a deep level it's not really about the food you need to be brave enough to take a look underneath it all peel back the layers mm. And ask yourself, what's going on with my unconscious mind? Because that's driving our behaviors and we don't realize it most of the time. Yeah, yeah. I And I agree. And you, you kind of, you you touched on there a bit of the, uh, I know last time we spoke, we were both talking about how we were listening to the Body Keeps the Score on yes. audiobook. And he talks a lot about, about that in, in that book. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, thank you for clarifying. Um, I, I kind of, I guess I, I want to rewind a little bit. So you were talking about... Um, you know, how the fitness community has been a, a big, you know, a big no-no or, you know, something mm-hmm. that you don't agree with. And you know, my mind is about the kind of fitness and gym and, and mental health within that. And I, I imagine I share similar opinions to you on that. Um, I guess for a more of a specific question, how do you feel the fitness community um, influences the way people feel about their bodies? Yeah. And how do I explain this without demoralizing the fitness industry? Because I love fitness and fitness is great for mental health. And I know you touched on this in our in our podcast we did together, which is so key. So, by the way, everyone go and listen to that because George really went in depth and shared so much of his wisdom around, you know, all people in the fitness industry almost prone to disordered eating. And as you shared, like most I'll of put the, the time- link in the bio of this podcast just for people. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I always ask people like, I'm like not anti-diet, but I don't talk kindly in my content about the diet industry. However, if someone's dieting and they are genuinely happy with their life and that it's causing them no problems, then honestly, hand on heart, like good for you, like do what makes you happy the only thing is it doesn't back science doesn't back it up 95% of diets fail and what I mean by fail and there's countless research to back this up is for if if someone goes on a diet they will not keep the weight loss for two years or more they will regain the weight or more more weight than that what they lost in the first place and 95% is a big percentage of the whole world population. So in the fitness industry, and again, I'm not demoralizing it because fitness is great for your health. Most of the time, I would guess 80% people are in it to change their physical appearance of their body, not to genuinely feel strong and healthy and get the endorphins going. Like I think CrossFit is very good from that perspective. The ones I've experienced, even though most people are shredded, if I'm being honest, the way that I've experienced CrossFit, they genuinely have no mirrors for a start, which is huge. And they're genuinely in it for the feeling and for getting strong and seeing what your body can do. So I celebrate industries like that. However, when you've got people comparing glute size or abs or body fat unless you're bodybuilding and you've chosen that sport because you genuinely have a passion for it a lot of people go into that I I went to step on stage and I did it for all the wrong reasons and it just deepened my eating disorder and body dysmorphia so it's all 
everything that I'm trying to explain is why your motivation behind why are you going to the gym? Why are you getting into fitness? But then when you're in that world and you get the compliments from other people, it's so hard to like distance yourself and ask yourself, is this serving me? Is this healthy for me? So I think a lot of fitness people are perfectionisms, as you've explained. Like, can you explain it better than me, George? Can you clarify like what typical in quotes? fitness people what their characteristics are and that will make a lot of sense as to what mumbo jumble I've just splurted out to try and explain why I think it's so easy for them to fall into that mindset yeah well I I think I think you did it wonderfully I was but I was going to touch on the fact that you know part of my my PhD that I got accepted um today um I'm hoping to explore um kind of I'm coining it muscularity oriented issues so people mm-hmm. think issues around muscularity and it, part of the part of the, the biggest kind of issue that I'm going to face is the fact that, you know, like you said, rightly, muscle orientated behaviors, exercising and, and eating in air quotes healthy uh, are great for you. Like, you know, there's, there's so much research showing that it helps you physically and mentally, but just because things can be good for you doesn't mean they are good for you and there's so many other factors that play into it and i think you know it's to it's a really interesting thing to try and um to to kind of figure out but i i think that the line is when um to use i'll explain the terms in case people don't know them but i think the line is when they go from adaptive to maladaptive so the people who don't know that adapt basically something is adaptive when it's Basically, the best way to explain it is you have your life and you supplement these behaviors into it. So they kind of are adaptable around your Mm -hmm. set life. And maladaptive is when these behaviors are the set thing and you're figuring out your life around them. So you can't you can't change. They can't adapt. You have to you can't miss a workout. You can't do. And if you do, it brings like serious negative influence on you. And it's a it's a real like muscularity oriented stuff is is isn't considered a problem um but people with um with so for example people with muscle dysmorphia have a, have seem to have a really high chance of experiencing suicidality um you know so people who have body dysmorphic disorder it's um estimated that they have 45 times more likely chance of, of experiencing suicidality and the research that the, there's only been one study but the research that that is there um comparing men with muscle dysmorphia to men with body dysmorphic disorder found that men with muscle dysmorphia were even more likely to experience suicidality so it seems that you know muscularity oriented stuff is a, is a real issue um, and it, it has seriously significant effects on people and it's all under this guise of health and like, you know, and it's, it's mm-hmm. scary. And I think it needs to be, it needs to be opened up. It, we need to, you know, and like you say, I'm not trying to diminish fitness. I think it's, it's fantastic, but you know, I, I say it's not about changing the narrative it's about updating it. Let's keep the stuff that it's great. Let's keep all that, but let's just add a sentence at the end that says, but also, you know, there's these issues that can come up. That's, that's what needs to happen. Yeah, I love the fact you brought the rigidity into it Mm. because when I first got into the fitness and I was doing really well in terms of like my body changing, I was getting fitter. 
it became an obsession. But then even in the fitness world in general, an obsession is a good thing because we like to clarify it as, oh, people that say you're obsessed just wish they had your willpower. And it becomes a, a lot of ego orient, like ego comes into it a lot. And I remember a time where I went on holiday with the girls, the first girl, girls holiday I'd ever been on. And it was only like an hour and a half flight. It was only to Spain. I got up at half past three in the morning to get a 10K run in because I was going to be sat on the plane and not moving for an hour and a half. That is not like a, quote, healthy lifestyle. But anyone that tried to tell me different, I would play the card of, well, I'm just disciplined. And, you know, well, I'm, I'm... It's morally superior, isn't it? And, yes. and, like, and, and I'm, I was the same, you know, that and that's one of the issues with all the memes. And it's it's not it's kind of straight up in like it's not you know, people don't say, oh, we're morally superior, but it's all mm. linked in there that if you do these things, if you adhere to these behaviors and this this discipline in air quotes, you are morally superior to the rest of the world because you are dedicated. They wish they could do this, but they can't. But that's not the case. Like, you know, it can it really isn't, it really can be an issue. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That clarifies it perfectly because that was exactly it. Like I would openly admit. And I've done so much work on this and it's ongoing for me. I needed to be the most toned person, the leanest person, the best. Per like I'm such a high achiever, which is also my best characteristic and also my worst enemy at the same time, because it's all about being the best. And it's like you say, it's, it's like almost like a moral high ground. But I didn't see it when I was in it. I didn't see it like that. I just loved to, quote, inspire people. And maybe I did inspire people, but only through women looking at me, like admiring my body and wishing they could have what I had. That's like, it's like it's on a spectrum of like um, thin, what word am I looking for? Thin superiority is, you know what word I'm trying to use? Like that I, word. I think, I think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a spectrum. So when I was looking like really lean and low body fat, I was I had more privilege than privilege mm. because I was more accepted and people looked up to me. But then what I've worked through a lot is I've gone, took all the layers off and been like, why does that matter? Why do I need to be the person who everyone thinks is amazing and like, so completely much better than everybody else if someone was to call me average it would have been the biggest insult of all if I just had an average body an average personality like to me not so much now because everyone's different and we're our own you know we're our own superhero for being ourselves but to be called average and being an average camp it was like I was almost allergic to that it's this mm. striving but over striving and perfectionism and Brene Brown has a great quote. She has many, but this is one of my favorites. Perfectionism is only fear dressed up in high heels and a fur coat. Because <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Underneath yeah, yeah. that, it's fear of not being enough. Yeah, and it's I, very I, toxic. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I really like Brene Brown. I've only read her um, Gifts of Imperfection mm. book. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about, I know she's recently, because I've got her on LinkedIn, I know she's recently um, released a new book, I can't remember what it's called, but um, I may have to check that out. But yeah, it's um, it's a it's a difficult um, thing to kind of go through, isn't it? It's, 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 it's hard to, it's hard to kind of sum up um, 
what I would like to offer, like, a que- like if someone's listening to this and they're maybe reflecting, like, am I in a healthy mindset around fitness? Like some, some people listening to this will not be in a healthy mindset, but they will not be open to even considering it because they're happy in their obsessive behaviors. And that's okay because I was too. And you've got to be ready to be open to change and all these things. But what it was key, what you said, George, about the flexibility and the rigidity, rigidity, Um, if say, for example, tomorrow you've got a gym session planned and life happens and something happened that enabled that you cause you not to be able to go work out tomorrow. Would that literally be like the end of the fucking world? I'm fuming, anxiety. Now I've got to eat less. Like, or would it just be like, that's annoying wanted to work out tomorrow but oh well I'll just try and go for a lunch uh, walk at lunchtime it's like how are you going to respond or react to something being taken away from you in the fitness world that that was really key to ask me that like if my if I didn't do my workout this morning because I spent an hour extra in bed I did but if I didn't it would have been like oh well bit disappointed that I didn't get that in but no biggie and I'll just love myself anyway and continue with my day. Yeah. And that, that's where you want to get to. And it, I've just, that's kind of reminded me, I had a bit of a brain fart then after I mentioned Brené Brown, but um, <laughs> you, when you were talking about the kind of um, like gaining superiority or getting, you know, gaining the, the, you said privilege, like thin privilege, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of, um, again, the research into like the muscularity side of stuff um it's, it's not specifically that but there's a there's a famous um sociologist called Bordeaux I think that's how he pronounced his name who talks about this idea of capital which is basically this this social currency that you you do you act in a certain way or do a certain thing and you gain these points that you can spend and use them as as influence or power or or whatever and they talk about in the muscularity kind of research that a lot of people who are experiencing or have these muscle dysmorphia, these obsessive behaviors, it is a way of obtaining that muscle cap, muscularity capital, you know, this score of being worthy as a person that you can then spend in, you know, in the gym or you spend with people and and have that influence. You know, I benched this today, therefore you, I earn respect from you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a slippery slope because again it become become addictive and, and you become dependent on needing that capital needing that input um but like you say in, in brené brown's um, brilliant quote you know it's, it, underneath it it's normally or pretty much always is a, a fear or it's it's that idea that a, there's a discrepancy there you think that you're not what you should be therefore mm. you have to get this capital to help build you up to to that level um, and you know, maybe you know, if people listening, if you do are kind of resonating with these things, maybe that's you know something you should look into, and that's where you can bring in professional help and you know working with people, and and you can explore that. Yeah, there's a great book by Sonia Marie, Sonia Renee Taylor. It's called "The Body Is Not an Apology." It's I I had um, a lot of resistance to reading that because I kind of knew what it would entail. And I didn't want that to sink in. It's a great book to read. It's not just about body image. It's about, it's about a, you know, the lad, like what you've explained so beautifully about the capitalism of, you know, having a social moral status, which is so true because even still, like I've got blonde hair, I've got big boobs, I've got a big bum. I flirt with men to get what I want. And I still do like, 
I will openly admit that I I use what mama gave me, like, let's bring it humor into it <laughs> to manipulate people. Sometimes men to get what I want, just little things like, you know, if you're waiting for a drink at the bar, I mean, I don't really go out. Um, I don't drink anyway, but if I'm going to get my friend a drink, unfortunately the society we live in is if it's a man behind the bar and this is no disrespect to men, I'm not gen- I don't want to overgeneralize here, but you're going to get served first because of just the way you look and, that's not okay but it's also reality right now so no wonder we're so shit scared of losing that especially if you've experienced it for yourself like when I was in a bikini and I had a really lean body like the amount of people that would like I don't know let you go first or bring you some it was just ridiculous to see how differently people treated you and it can be really scary to lose that and what Sonia and Renee Taylor talks about is a ladder of success in society so it's not just about what you look like it's how much money you earn your social class like all of these things are on this ladder like your education blah 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 your house your car and everyone's comparing everyone to each other and the higher you get up the ladder the more you know the more respect you get and all of these things unfortunately so you've got to make a decision. Are you going to spend your most of your life trying to climb the ladder? Or are you going to get off the fucking ladder? And then when <laughs> I decided to get off the fucking ladder, I thought I'd got off, but I was still hanging on. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was like, do you know what? Full surrender. Like I am who I am. And it didn't happen overnight, but I, I really can say hand on heart that I'm, when I say I'm there, you're never there. It's always a journey. It's not a destination. Mm. But once I've like took myself off the ladder, another way of phrasing this is taking yourself out of the game. If you're not in the game, you can't win or lose. Like just walk away from the fucking game mm. and then you're free. But it takes so much courage to that because what you're also walking away from is thin privilege is that capitalism and that's shit's hard to walk away from you probably might still get it but to let go of the grasping of it and the Mm. the climbing of it to me that's freedom and to me that is one of the biggest key factors that has helped me to get over all of my disordered eating is to just not give a fuck what anyone else thinks about what my body looks like including me Mm. and that's amazing and what's what's that book called again it's called The Body is Not an Apology. Okay, I'm going to have to read that because that sounds fantastic. I, I think I'm, I'm, I've kind of been trying to get off get off the ladder um, myself, but we haven't read that book, so it's interesting. But I've, like, I'm, I'm kind of working on trying to highlight the things that I do for other people and the things that I'm doing for myself and trying to, you know, so for example, like I haven't released a podcast for, for like a month now. And normally I'd be so terrified and I'd be like trying to force things in, but I'm, mm. I'm not, I'm not going to sacrifice the things that I enjoy doing. You know, some of them are still my minds related and other research things I'm doing, but I'm not going to sacrifice things because I, I have to like adhere to something to other people. And the same with my PhD, like I, for, for ages, I refused 
to to do any PhDs unless they were full time and fully funded. But I'm accepting to do this one part time because because it's it's what I want to do. I love to do it. It doesn't matter about getting that doctor title as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I can wait longer and, and just enjoy doing it and you know just do what I'm doing. So I guess I'm trying to get off the fucking ladder. Um, but it, yeah, I, I think that book will maybe help highlight it for me. Um, yeah. So. I don't want to skip over this question because I think it's really important that people hear about what, what you do. Um, and we are kind of leading to the end now, but I think we can, we can go over. It's fine. Um, so can you tell people a bit about the work that you do? You kind of touched on it as we're going and um, as we've been going, but yeah, tell people what it is you actually do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a coach and I help women. My tagline, if you like, is I help women who can't stick to a diet anymore to feel normal around food and to love themselves. So I work primarily with women who struggle with binge eating disorder. It doesn't have to be like diagnosis. Like I don't even know why I keep saying like it officially because it's always a spectrum. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if a doctor or professional says, yes, you have this disorder. If it's affecting your life in a negative way, then I'm here to help you. So I help, I also help women who are kind of more to the restrictive end as well. And they're scared to eat a cookie because of the anxiety, like around, especially women in the fitness world. So I coach women one-to-one and I also have a group coaching as well. I've created out a four month program, which is like in a specific order and it's full of journaling, audios, videos from me. And it's all about healing your relationship with food and your body getting off the ladder in fact I'm going to send you George the ladder exercise which is in my um in my modules is something I want you to listen to and then something a worksheet to do and that's really that's really powerful. homework yeah. homework I love <laughs> homework and so basically I help women how to feel normal around food and to love themselves and I'm obsessed with what I do like I like I said I wake up every morning And I get to be of service to women because I know like it feels like yesterday. I got the countless stories I've got. I used to shower in the dark so I didn't even have to look at myself. In fact, this is funny and I've not shared this publicly and I I want to do a live about this. Yesterday I was getting undressed and my dog came in the room, which is just yeah, completely random. But I honestly, back in the day when I was in the midst of my eating disorders, I used to be ashamed of getting naked in front of my dog. Not that a dog could judge us in any way, shape or form the way, but I even was shameful at getting dressed in front of my dog because I was so ashamed of the, of my body and the way I looked. I mean, that, I mean, now it's ridiculous, but that's so, so real for me. I would cry every time I looked in the mirror. I remember this would have been about five years ago now. I remember being at my mum's house in England and I was looking in the mirror and I was crying so hard. And it was the first time I said to her, I don't want to care what I look like anymore, but how do I not care? And it was so vivid to me now before, up until that moment, I was always like, need to be skinny and and I'm just going to start on Monday and all the usual stuff. But this time I was like, I don't want to care, but how do I not care? Because it's ruining my life. And so the point I'm getting at is like, I totally resonate how it feels when someone's like, I binge ate last night to the point where I literally couldn't breathe because I was so full. I used to call in sick to work because I was still full the next day. Like all of the stuff that people think they're alone with, 
you're not alone and I'm here to support you, guide you, also to give you a lovingly, a loving kick up the arse when you need to and to call you out on stuff. Yeah. But my passion is to help women to feel normal around food and to love themselves. That's what I do. Amazing. Amazing. And yeah, it, 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 you know, what you do is fantastic. And I, I really like at the start there, you spoke about how, you know, it doesn't matter if you have the official diagnosis. And I think, um, you know, maybe I need to, I know you weren't calling me out, but I'm kind of calling myself out. Cause I always say, Oh, I haven't had a, I'm not sure if I've had a diagnosis or not. Um, the, the reason I bring that up is because I, I kind of, I want to tell the, the kind of next step of that story about the fact that, you know, the, the only memory I have is a doctor telling me mm. that my, my arms were too big to be, a, have an eating disorder, you know, um, that's so damaging, honestly. Yeah. And it, that, that's, and that's, that's, that's kind of part of that, that positive reinforcement that you were talking about, you know, when you were 9% body fat or whatever, and you, your people said, oh, you look amazing. You're a machine, mm. all this kind of stuff. And it, it feels nice. And the other people think, oh, it's a compliment. How can that be a problem? But you know, I, I always used to say it to my, to my family, because, um, <clears throat> if I didn't go to the gym for a while, I was binge eating whatever. And I'd get, start going to the gym again, my body would like start to look different. And, you know, sometimes my mom would say an off comment or something and be like, Oh, you can tell you're getting back into the gym, look at your arms or something. Or, and I'd say, I'd like, you know, and, I, and they don't do it anymore. Um, but, you know, I'd, I'd say something like, I really, I know that's a compliment, but what you're saying to me is before today, you thought I looked like shit. And it's only now that, cause I've been doing this, that you think I look good enough to, to compliment um, and you know, it's a, it is, it can be an issue. So, you know, th- I think my, my kind of like the, the kind of blank statement is just don't comment on people's bodies. Like I just, I don't think it's, it's necessary, you know, um, maybe there are specific times when it, when it can be you know, in medical ways or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think in, in a general term, it's just not commenting on them is probably the best. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree 110%. And interestingly enough, you know, there's two things I want to say here. What shall I say first? The first thing I want to say is similar to what you've just explained, but from a context of like weight loss, even though I get it, when we compliment bodies, it's from a place of love. And we we're so all of we're all brainwashed by society and diet culture and it's literally so ingrained in us. It can feel like it's part of our DNA sometimes. So I get it. When people compliment other people, they're doing it from a place of love. But when you say to someone these things, that looks flattering on you. Have you lost weight? You look great or whatever. That's basically, we live in a dualistic world. So there's always an equal and opposite to everything, like up and down, left and right. Like even if you're given a compliment, it's, The opposite to that, meaning if you say that's flattering on you, that means you look slimmer than you actually are. So that's a good thing. Or, oh, have you lost weight as if it's a good thing? That means before that, you didn't look as good as you look now because I'm always looking at your body. And that is, it can be so, so damaging. So it's all about giving compliments to help other people, you know, just give yourself a little bit of a boost. And it's, yes, externally, if you rely on external people, compliments to make you feel good about yourself there's some inner work to be done but everyone likes a compliment but how about offering a compliment like oh my gosh you're so funny or that outfit looks great on you because that's not specifically talking about the body Mm. it's talking about your style that you've chosen to dress your body in today and the other thing I wanted to say was this was really helpful for my healing journey I met Vouter four years ago and moved to the Netherlands 
and I believe this is all part of my healing process that had to happen my family and my world was all to do with I've put weight on I've lost weight you've lost weight you look slim all of that bs that was just like my life when I moved here I don't know if it's Dutch culture or just his family to this day, not one single person in his family have commented about my body or anybody else's body. Someone's just recently had a baby. Not one conversation I've heard about anything to do with her physical body. And at first I was shocked. And then after I got over the initial shock, I was like, wow, this is so refreshing because I no longer feel I feel safe to be seen because no one actually gives a shit about my body anyway, because it's not yeah. the most interesting part about me. Well, that, that's, that's, that's quite a, it's a nice thing to think that that exists in other places because it, it can feel like it doesn't. So it's nice to know that that, that can, can happen. Um, yeah. yeah. It's possible. And we get to create our own reality as well. And I know it's hard, but I'm being the change I want to see. So I won't compliment people on their physical body. If someone's downgrading themselves by saying, oh, look at a put weight, I will give them words of encouragement and help them to look into self-love. Like it's got to start with us because as you've just shared, until I would not have known there was a world that didn't, that wasn't body obsessed until I've moved here and I've been surrounded by his family. So that showed me that it was possible. So now I'm creating that everywhere that I can with the people who I interact with but we've got to create change if we want society to change we've got to do it and then we can pass it to our children and then all those things like let's not wait for people to do it for us let's be the change that we want to see and it is changing have you noticed in the man's world like you know when I go on lingerie like a lingerie website now quite a few of them have normal women with different bodies and stretch marks like that is just so great to see do you have you noticed that um I'm not so sure about the the men's stuff I've got to say I don't really close shop very often so um (laughs) I mean from what I I think I think we're a step behind in the man's world Mm -hmm. because I, I don't I still think it's it's kind of okay to to like you know again in air quotes it's okay to to portray men in a certain way because you know they're, they're men so you know it don't matter like you know they'll they'll they're masculine they'll stiff up a lip and they'll crack on they'll be fine um so i do think we are a step behind i you know it, yeah it's a it's a difficult one i do i just i think that men tend to be portrayed with muscular physiques at least um i don't think i don't think kind of general media has always been Although in some it has, there's always been like leanness. I know that, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the kind of women's stuff, it tends to be women who are very lean as like models and stuff. Maybe it's not always been that way with men, but there's at least been muscularity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, but I do think there's definitely a step behind in men. But I, I think we are kind of going getting forward, and hopefully, like I said, my research and the stuff that, that I'm working on is going to help with that. I hope so, because it doesn't make anyone any less of a man if they don't have biceps bulging or abs or pecs. Like, it really doesn't. And it, I, I'm, I love that you brought that up, because I think we all need to come together, women and men, because, yes, the statistics say more women this, blah, 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 blah. And of course, I'm a woman. I'm going to support women. But men as well, like, it's a worldwide problem. And there's probably more men suffering, but they just don't talk about it. So we don't know 
we don't know what we don't know. So if people are suffering in silence, then how do we bring it, you know, into the statistics and how can they get help? So I love that you're talking about this, learning more about this, exploring this. Like if any men are listening or watching, like, and you're struggling, reach out to George, reach out to me. Like, yes, I specifically help women, but I love people and helping people that are struggling with their food and body. So just reach out, like we're here to help and you're really not alone, even though it really can feel like it. You're really not. Amazing. Thank you. Um, just for, for time constraints, I feel like we could talk forever, but could. It, <laughs> it is now time for the devil's advocate. It's the devil's advocate. Give it Here to me. <laughs> okay, today's devil's advocate question is, surely people with binge eating disorder just don't have any self-control shouldn't we just be teaching them some discipline? Oh, I love that question so much because, and I will, I could talk for hours about this. So let me try and rein it in. I will first start with, that's what I used to think about myself when I was in, you know, especially being a high achiever. Well, you could stick to a diet all those years ago. So just like kick yourself up the arse, get more self-discipline, get more willpower, and then off you go. And then I'm wondering like by, starting my diet on Monday by Wednesday, I'm like face planting Ben and Jerry's crying, wondering what the fuck is wrong with me and why I can't do it anymore. It's because you are fighting your biology and biology will always win. It's like, if I said to you, George, I will pay you 1 million pounds. Now I haven't got a million pounds, but if I was being truthful, I will pay you for my research. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. If you could hold your breath, for 10 minutes, the million pounds is yours. Could you do it? Oh, obviously, no, no. Yeah. And the reason I bring that question into this is because your bio, no matter how much you wanted to hold your breath from conscious effort and willpower and discipline, the million pound reward at the end of it, your biology will take over to keep you alive. So mm. you will breathe eventually. And this sounds dramatic, but it's not because to survive, we need air water and food and then of course shelter and then warmth and maslow's hierarchy of needs and all of that stuff but food is a basic biological need and we can forget that because we're surrounded by supermarkets and food is abundant and even if we're on a diet there's food everywhere so we don't we just think we'll just use discipline and self you know and willpower then we can stick to a diet and lose weight it would work at the beginning which is why diets are so popular because they do quote work for a short amount of time and they bring validation like you feel like you're nailing it like you get all your clothes get looser all the things that come with it but you fight in your biology and your biology will always win so we have a weight set point each and every one of us it's like not a specific weight but it's like a specific fat percentage which makes you a certain body size I'm weight restored now and the size I am now I stay like really similar size regardless of whether I'm eating a lot or eating a less or on holiday with all the foods there of like my body naturally wants to sit here and each and every one of us has a natural set point weight. So if you're suppressing your set point weight by restricting and dieting, the second you eat emotionally or, you know, your willpower disappears because you're human. And again, you're fighting biology. Your body will send you hormone signals to eat more 
And if you've been restricting and dieting for a long period of time, regardless of if you've been binge eating as well, your body will find high fats, high sugar, high carbs, get food in now. There's going to be a famine tomorrow. She's going to start dieting again on Monday. Let's weight withdraw. Let's get it all in ready. And I know that's not helpful. Your body doesn't care if that you want to be a size, whatever. Your body is wired for survival. And if you're restricting food physically, it's going to drive you to eat. If you've successfully restricted food physically for a long period of time, like my anorexia, for example, or people that just diet for long periods of time, it's going to drive you to eat even more. And then you wonder why you could stick to a diet X amount of years ago. And now you're literally failing on the first day and Sally down the road's nailing keto or whatever she's doing. Like, fucking Sally. They, yeah, if, without no offense to anyone called Sally, but I can <laughs> ask me any questions if you want me to elaborate. I can go into a lot more depth, but basically, you're fighting biology. And no matter how much willpower you have, it ain't going to win. Mm. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it is so interesting because it is our, you know, the reason I asked that question in the way I did is because I think for a lot of people, if someone is um, uncontrollably eating, like the kind of symptoms mm-hmm. of binging disorder, their your first like logical reaction is, well, they should stop doing that. So let's like restrict them. Let's put things in place to stop them doing it. But it doesn't work, and that's you know it, it might feel counterintuitive, but it just that's just the way it is. You know the the way that people recover from binging disorder is giving themselves freedom to eat. And then, you know, and it kind of it, you know, goes from there. And obviously, you know, we can, that would go into a, a huge kind of um, talk, but yeah, it's a really interesting thing. And it's just, it's not you know, restricting is never the way it just doesn't seem to work. Which you think it, intellectually, it makes sense to it. And I remember my fiance saying to me, well, just stop eating chocolate. Then I'm like, Oh, I've not tried that one yet. <laughs> like, hello it's and then he would even say from a place of love because he didn't understand no one's forcing you chocolate no one's picking up your hand and putting the chocolate in your mouth and I was just like I can't to describe to explain to someone who doesn't get it Mm. it can be very challenging but as you've so wisely said restriction is not the answer I'm going to leave them with one word allowance allow Mm. allow 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 all foods which is fucking scary Mm. and exciting and liberating the only way you're going to stop binge eating is if your body feels safe that there is enough food and you're not constantly thinking about restricting as well because your brain is so powerful it can actually alter physical changes in your body just from the way you think so Mm. allowing physically allowing mentally And then just being with yourself through all the judgments where they will, your judgment brain will be like, but this is too much sugar, but this can't be healthy, but this, but that, but like, this is what I teach. Like, it's too much to say in like a podcast, obviously, but the word allowance is your key to freedom. If you embrace Mm. that. Amazing. Well, we'll leave, we'll leave that at there then. Um, Okay. Victoria. I ask everyone who comes on this podcast the final three questions. So the first question is, name a person, real or fictional, who inspires you? Kayla Anderson, and I will give you her Instagram so you can link her below. She's not like super famous or anything. She is my inspiration. Whenever I have a body image trigger, I say to myself, what would Kayla do? 
And when you follow her, you will exactly see why. So her. I'm just making a note of her name. Kayla yes. Anderson. I will, yes. I will definitely link her below. Yeah, if you send me her Instagram, I'll, I'll link her. Okay, um, question two. Uh, I suppose we've already touched on these, but you actually, you kind of, you said a comment earlier in the podcast that um, alluded to this. And I thought at the time, well, this is probably going to be what you're going to say, but we'll see. Um, name a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time, okay. but looking back, you know that positives have come from it. I want to say all of it, a phase of my life, you know, I'm going to give a different answer and it was not recent, but it was at the start of my recovery where I was sat on the bathroom floor and I was crying my eyes out and I'd, I'd learned intuitive eating mm -hmm. and I'd learned the body acceptance world. Mm -hmm. And there was the biggest part of me could not accept myself in a larger body. And I remember thinking, I can't diet. I physically can't diet anymore. I also can't do this new journey because it's too painful. Mm. What the hell am I going to do? And I felt so lost and just in despair. And Walter, bless him, my fiance, his interpersonal development, he was stood over me like, this is all happening for a reason. And at the time I was like, do you just want to fuck up? <laughs> I'm glad I went through that because now I have the depth of compassion to understand what my clients are feeling at the start of that, of this journey. Amazing. Amazing. And yeah, and it does feel like that. And I think sometimes I'm conscious of that when I'm talking on the podcast about like, you know, putting things in place and just making, taking the first step. Cause I know how fucking hard it is when you're in when you're in the depression and you you just think life is pointless and you know it's so like you just there's no reason you just don't see a reason but like the only thing I can say is I I 100% have been there and there is a reason like there just there is um it's so much better when you just go you just you start putting things in place and just like make it through um because you you will um yes you will a tiny 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 step tiny bit of action and then a tiny and then continue like take yeah. care of yourself but but move through yeah. it exactly amazing okay and the final question is a phrase to live by i'm gonna have to quote Brene brown again it feels like i'm obsessed with her and i'm not but one of her mantras that i live by why are we hustling so hard for our worthiness when all we have to do is claim it. Like mic drop, I'm just gonna say that again. Why are we hustling so hard for our worthiness when all we have to do is claim it? Amazing. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to add anything to that. Um, Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I hope you have a good time. Oh, it was an absolute honor and a pleasure. And I could talk for hours. So thank you for sharing me with your audience and having me on. It's been a pleasure. Amazing. It's been a pleasure having you on. Everyone at home, thank you so much for making it through another one of the podcasts. And I hope to see you at the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.